Welcome to the Elijah Rising podcast. Elijah Rising is an organization empowering women recovering from sexual exploitation. This episode is going to help you become more aware about the issue of sex trafficking and inspire you to take action. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I'm Adam, and today I am joined by Munazi Monyande. And he is the executive director of the DFW Asylum Seeker Housing Network, also known as the Dash Network. Uh, Manazi was born and raised in Zimbabwe. He has a finance degree and an MBA from the University of Central Missouri. Manazi has worked in both the business and nonprofit sectors in both Africa and in the United States. And he has been the executive director of the Dash Network since July of 2018. Manazi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adam. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, forward to this. yeah I'm looking forward to it uh, as well. Uh, we're so excited that you're here today. And because we're asking the question, how are asylum seeking and exploitation related? Um, and so I think it's important for our audience first, uh, just to kind of set the, set the stage before we jump into like the real meat and bones of the conversation. Let's define what it means to be an asylum seeker. And is our asylum seekers the same thing as refugees? Awesome. Yeah, that's a great place to start. Um, the best way um, I can think of to kind of explain, you know, what an asylum seeker is and the difference between an asylum seeker and a refugee um, is by giving, um, you know, kind of the back, background that an asylum seeker um, is somebody who's had to, you know, flee their home country um, mm-hmm. out of fear of persecution. Um, okay. And it's, you know, typically, you know, fear of persecution because of their race, because their religion, you know, uh, sometimes their nationality, uh, political opinion. So, you know, if you're if you come from a country with a brutal dictatorship and mm-hmm. you are opposed to said brutal brutal dictatorship, you know, sometimes that that does lead to trouble that people have to flee to save their lives. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and then also, you know, membership to a particular social group. So, mm. you know, you know, sometimes that could mean, you know, just being a member of a, you know, a, an organization that is targeted or, you know, you know, sometimes LG, LGBTQ, you know, um, individuals in different parts of the world are targeted. Yeah. Um, you know, and then tribes as well. We, you know, we see people that are part of a minority tribe in a particular country have to flee, um, you know, um, for, for their own safety. So an asylum seeker typically will flee kind of on their own. So it's an individual or, you know, an individual and their family gotcha. they pack up and then they get out of the country and then they f- make their way to the United States. Um, and then on arrival in the United States, they start the process to where they say to the U.S. government, hey, you know, I'm here with my family. I'm here by myself and I don't feel safe to, you know, returning home for the following reasons. Right. I'm, I'm going to seek asylum. And that kind of, you know, starts an entire process on its own that could take um, several years, you know, from, from start to finish. Sure. So an asylum seeker, you know, kind of goes through all of that, um, you know, and moves, you know, finds their way to the U.S., you know, on their own or with just their family. Yeah. The refugee, on the other hand, um, you know, is typically fleeing, um, you know, sometimes it's persecution because of, you know, them, you know, being uh, members of a particular, you know, uh, race or nationality or, 
you know, a certain tribe or, you know, you know, uh, converting to a certain religion, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but then they generally are targeted kind of in mass, you know, so as part of a larger group. Oh, gotcha. So, so, so the typical refugee, you know, um, you know, ends up fleeing, you know, um, in mass as part of a group. So, you know, for right. example, there's the conflict happening right now in Ethiopia. Uh, right. Where there's right. Uh, this, you know, civil war that's breaking out. And so there's, that's caused, you know, displacement of large numbers of families and, and individuals from certain parts of the country. Gotcha. And so, and so when they're displaced in large numbers, they typically either you know, make their way across the border you know, mm. somewhere or to a safe part of the country. And a lot of times the United Nations, you know, kind of shows up and set, helps set up, set up these refugee camps. Right, know, temporary right. Temporary housing, temporary accommodation uh, for all, for these thousands of people, you know, sometimes tens of thousands. Sure. And then... Uh, the United Nations then works with, you know, the United States and a number of other countries to basically kind of say, okay, look, so we've got, you know, these people, these thousands of people that are, you know, here in our camp that don't have, they, they can't go back home because it's not safe for them to go back home or you know, their homes have been destroyed and there's nothing to go back to. potentially. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we need to make a plan for them. And so the United States and a number of other countries will typically, you know, kind of uh, essentially announce to say, hey, we'll, for 2021, we're going to accept, we'll take 20,000 refugees or 50,000 right. or 100,000, whatever that number is. And through the United Nations, different families and individuals, you know, kind of just are told by the, you know, that, hey, you're going to the United States or you're going to go to Germany or you're going to go to Canada or, yeah. you know, you know that, that kind of thing. And so the United Nations is involved in that whole process. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, background checks, verif verification of identity and stuff that's done through them. And then they kind of work with the U.S. government to actually uh, process travel documents and actually get these families on flights. Gotcha. To, okay. To the United States. And so when, you know, if you show up in the United States as a refugee, um, the U.S. knows who you are before you get here. They've kind mm. of, you know, done their background checks and all of that stuff. And the U.S. government typically... Um, has you know contracted a number of refugee agencies you know uh, in the country to kind of assist you as you arrive. And so what happens is when you know I'll give the you know uh, the Dallas example because we've got you know significant refugee populations in Dallas and Fort Worth um, yeah. you know over here. And so uh, when somebody arrives as as a refugee and flies in you know to DFW International Airport, there's a, a, a refugee resettlement agency that's waiting for them. So somebody's at the airport, you know, expecting them. They've got a sign with their name on, you know, on, on a board. Wow. And once they've been once they've been processed, you know, through immigration and customs, you know, somebody's, you know, receives them, somebody helps them, you know, with whatever luggage they might have, you know, yeah. puts them in a car and drives them straight to an apartment that the refugee resettlement agency has rented on their behalf. Gotcha. And okay. so you're walking into an apartment, so you're in a new country, new home, but you're walking into an apartment that the resettlement agency has helped furnish and all of that, and they've put some groceries in there. So you, you know, and they, you know, drop you off and it's, hey, welcome to your new home. Right, um, right. And and then the, the government will provide, you know, uh, I think the government pays for, I think, uh, up to about six months, you know, in terms of rent and that kind of thing, you know, for that apartment. Uh, and then this resettlement agency assists by you know kind of helping you you know as quickly as possible okay so you're here 
you know, you're, you know, you've already got the right to be in the U.S. and the right to work and all this. So they right. help you get, get your social security number and all of that stuff. They help you get your kids in school. They help you, you know, if there's, you know, um, some language barriers, they're trying to help you get into some, you know, ESL, you know, courses and those right, things. Right, right. <clears throat> and they can help you, you know, get on your feet. They, you know, eventually will help you find a job once you've got your social security number and all of this with the idea of within six months, you know, you need to be, you know, stable. relatively, relatively stable, uh, yeah. able to, you know, you're, you're going to work and, you know, um, so you, you know, the government's paid for your, you know, for six months of your rent, they've given you a monthly stipend as well for you and your family. Right. And after six months, hopefully you can start to, you can take over from there. So that's typically kind of the journey uh, that a refugee will, will go through. And, and it's, it's, I mean, it's tough because from the time that they're displaced to the, you know, uh, to the time they finally get to the United States, I mean, you're, it's possibly several years. I mean, yeah. refugees spend three to five years in a refugee camp. Right. Um, you know, just basically living in tents. Right. So, you know, very difficult uh, circumstances that, uh, that they're forced to endure. And when they arrive here, it's, you know, new country, new everything. And yeah. you know, many times, you know, you know, not much language, you know, not much languages in common. And so you're, you know, really scrambling trying to kind of get, get sorted out. Um, the slight advantage that refugees have relative to asylum seekers is that you do have these resettlement agencies that are expecting you and that are helping you yeah. to be able to, you know, to kind of find your feet, you know, yeah. uh, somewhat. Okay. It's like, it's, it's almost like they have a, like a, like a government funded support network to yeah. help them uh, get acclimated to their new kind of cultural setting. And exactly. I'm, 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 I feel, I feel what's coming next. I'm, a, I'm, I'm thinking that asylum seekers, it's not that easy. hundred percent. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're, 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 you're on the money with that statement. Um, yeah. So what happens is so because an asylum seeker is fleeing, you know, by themselves as an individual, or, you know, it's just, you know, me and my family, you know, kind of thing. Um, right. There's two ways that you, two options for you, you know, in terms of coming to the United States to uh, seek asylum. Okay. The first process, um, the government calls the affirmative process. Okay. And the people that go through the affirmative asylum process are generally people who, you know, qualified from their home countries to get a visa to visit the United, United States. So I qualify to get a, you know, a, a visitor's visa or a student visa or right. you know, something, something along those lines. And so I got a visa at my local embassy in my home country. I got on a plane. I arrived. I went through immigration, you know, as a visitor, processed through immigration, everything like that. And then once I'm in the country, I've gone through immigration and I'm in the United States, I go and I say, hey, look, to the government, I'm here to seek asylum. And, here, right. um, you know, here are the reasons why I don't feel safe returning to my home country. Right. And so, so that's the affirmative, you know, kind of asylum process. And that's, the, you know, the first way that you are able to, you know, seek asylum. The second way is called the defensive asylum process. Okay. And the defensive asylum process, um, you know, applies to people that aren't able to get a visa, you know, uh, to travel to the United States. And 95% of, maybe even 99% of asylum applications are probably, um, you know, defensive. I mean, it's a high number wow. um, of, of them being defensive. So they, you know, I either, you know, couldn't, didn't get the visa or I couldn't, I didn't, couldn't even drive to the city where the U.S. embassy is at to try to get a visa because of everything that was going on. Right. So I just fled. Uh, so I fled, managed to cross the border into a neighboring country, and then I started to make my way to the United States. Um, and so um, 
these are a lot of the stories that have been you know kind of captured in the news over the last couple of years when we right. read about these uh you know these uh you know these migrant migrant um you know trains and you know these uh you know groups of thousands of uh, of asylum seekers showing up um you know traveling through central central america through right. mexico the caravans the right caravans, exactly. yeah that's the word i was looking for um and so what happens is with them is when when you show up as part of you know as part of this caravan caravan to the u.s border um the southern border mm-hmm. uh, again international law you know which you know every country in the world that's that's a uh, that's a signatory you know signatory to the united nations uh refugee treaty gotcha. basically all the countries have said hey if if a citizen of another country shows up at my border and says hey i need i'm here to seek asylum i need help um that there's kind of a, an agreed upon way of treating you know these these individuals and kind of giving them an opportunity to present their case yeah. and get an answer of okay you know yeah you know you qualify for asylum welcome right. you can stay in the US or you don't and you've got to go back right so so when you show up at the US uh, the southern border and you don't have a visa you are able to say to the you know uh, to border patrol hey i'm here i don't have a visa but i do want to enter the united states to seek asylum right right and that in itself you know triggers a process right that, um you know uh, that's different from the affirmative asylum process but the ultimate end goal and result is asylum being granted or being denied and if it's granted you get to stay in the united states you become a permanent resident eventually and a us mm. citizen eventually and if the asylum is denied then you've got you, to, to, you know you've got to leave and, and go back home or go somewhere else Right, right. So I know that your work is in the Dallas Fort Worth area, which is about four hours north of us, you know, from where I sit at this moment. Um, but I, I, you know, it's a, I'm hoping you can speak to this. Uh, but like our asylum seekers here in Houston, I mean, clearly they're, you know, in Dallas, which is not far yeah. away. Um, yeah. And and is this only like a is it only big cities big municipalities that are taking asylum seekers this is like a country you know nationwide deal that's a really good question um asylum seekers are everywhere um you know to be honest uh, i know there's asylum seekers in you know in small towns across the us uh, okay. there's you know um, asylum seekers everywhere now what typically happens um and um you know I'll kind of you know explain this and then segue to kind of explain you know explaining um you know what I touched on earlier you know, sure the the question you asked about you know uh, asylum seekers not quite getting the kind of support that refugees yeah uh, yeah yeah you know, do get yeah so um once an asylum seeker gets in and they're at the, you know they show up at the border um the border patrol you know um starts a process and typically for most asylum seekers at least adult asylum seekers the first thing that happens is you're you're brought into the united states but you're put into detention mm-hmm. um into a detention facility right um and you know the reason they're doing that is just to kind of be able to you know you're showing up and you're saying hey this is who i am but you know there's no way to verify yeah you can't process so, it in, you know you in an hour or something exactly. yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so yeah, they yeah. put you in detention and then try to kind of work quickly to kind of you know get a bit more information about you where you're coming from and the reason why you might why why you don't feel safe returning to your country right and a, a lot of times what happens is at the bare minimum you know um the government has immigration officers that actually work in these detention centers who's who's you know part of what they do is determine who has a credible fear uh, yeah. of returning home and who doesn't 
Yeah. So you you know you get interviewed and you've got to produce some evidence and anything that you can you know show that shows that you're you know that to support your claim. And if they feel like you do have a credible fear, um, then you're essentially processed out of detention. You know where they say, okay, look, you know, we're not granting you asylum right now. Right. You do feel you have a credible fear, and so you do deserve an opportunity to stand in front of a judge and make your case. Gotcha. And so they'll you know kind of process them out um, that way. Um, but if you don't, if you're deemed to not have a credible fear, then that's about it. Basically, you're you, you've got to go. You know, the process is over. Process, to, process is over. Yeah. So. Once someone's been de- deemed to have a credible fear and they're released from detention, um, the big shock for many people is that, you know, you technically can just be released and it's, hey, okay, you know, you're out of detention, good luck, goodbye. Yeah. Okay. And for a lot of people who are coming and seeking asylum, they know absolutely no one. They don't have anyone they know in this country. They don't sure. know, or if they do, we've had, you know, uh, we've had people who said, well, you know, I was given somebody, you know, the name of somebody from my town who I was told was in Minneapolis. And so I have this phone number. And so my plan was just to call them once I arrive. And I tried their number and lo and behold, the number doesn't work. And yeah. I don't know what I'm going to do. So there's, you know, kind of a lot of those, uh, a lot of those instances. And so um, <clears throat> the reason that a lot of times people end up going to the bigger cities is because, you know, they are looking for a community of people from their country or uh, at least kind of this idea of look you know i feel like my chances of getting help are probably going to be stronger in houston texas sure uh, versus you know um, eastland texas yeah um, yeah yeah you know, you know just in terms of just the size of the city and the, some of the infrastructure that's there um you know to 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 support large numbers of people so well, or I like think that the, I was going to say, or like if, you know, like for example, if you're seeking this, like let's say you're a Cambodian and you're, you're an asylum seeker and you come and you know that there's a large Cambodian community exactly. in Houston, you know, you're, yep. you might have like a third cousin once removed, you know, like yes. some distant exactly. connection yeah, exactly. Precisely. Precisely. in this community of other people who have also precisely. sought asylum. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, precisely. Yeah. So, so you'll find that different cities across the country you know, that have significant numbers of people from certain countries generally kind of are, you know, attract, you know, uh, more people from more. those countries just, sure. just naturally. You know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that, that's a real factor. Now, um, you know, going back to the uh, defensive and the asylum, uh, yeah. aff- affirmative asylum processes. So both in both cases, you know, so the affirmative guy, uh, asylum seeker has come into the country. They've been processed through in, into the U S with their visitors visa and, they seek, you know, apply for asylum. And, yeah. you know, most people thinking, hey, I'm, I'm in America. This is America. You know, America has a reputation for being, you know, the, you know, if not the most organized country in the world, if not, yeah. you know, or close to it and, and so on. So surely I'm going to be able to submit this application for asylum. And that's going to be, um, I'm either going to be able to get some support to get, right. get some help from the government, just, you know, as I'm going through the process, or I'm going to at least be able to kind of get an expedited work permit or something. So at least I can find, find work and right. start working, you know, kind of while the process is played out. Uh, because, you know, people find out it takes a couple of years before your final, your asylum decision is, made, is given. So everyone's assumption is surely I'm going to get some help or I'm going to be allowed to work so I can, you know, take care of myself. So every single person that gets here is, uh, you know, is, is not pleasantly, is, is shocked and not in a pleasant way. Yeah. Uh, when they find out that actually, yeah, now that you've put in this asylum application, you've got to wait. And 
you uh, you know you might wait six months but you might also wait four years yeah yeah and while you're waiting um you're not immediate you know you don't qualify for any government benefits you don't qualify for you know food stamps or any assistance in the way that refugees do qualify right um and then you also can't work for a significant amount of time you know for a year or two even sometimes before you know from the time you arrive wow so what that does is create this real crisis. Of, yeah. Okay. So I've come here, you know, um, to save my life. Uh, I've made it. And I'm, and as soon as I showed up, I, I didn't try to sneak into the country. Right. And just kind of, you know, be illegal. So I've kind of, you know, done it the way that I, you know, do the way the rules say I should do it. Yeah. And so the government knows who I am. They know where to find me. They know my story and all this stuff. And, and I'm not trying to hide from anyone, but I've been told I've got to potentially sit for two months, two years, you know, with no, with no way with to no resource yourself. No yeah, exactly. And so right. some guys are here with their families. And so now you're looking at your spouse and kids and trying to think, okay, so what are we going to do? No answer. A lot of people come, you know, in, you know, where it's just maybe the mom or just the dad and they left their spouse and kids in their home country. Yeah. Typically they were the breadwinner too for their family. Right. And so now it's like, okay, so I'm homeless and I'm potentially in this situation for two or four years. And I have no capacity to send any money to my family that I just left back home. So right. it creates a real, real crisis. And so yeah. this is kind of, you know, where dash, you know, yeah. kind of, uh, you know, essentially, you know, comes to, you know, comes in. This is why, why we exist. Our founder, um, her name is Ashley Freeman actually worked for a refugee resettlement agency. Okay. Uh, you know, like, you know, over 10 years ago and she was a young, you know, recent college graduate and was working there and loved working with refugees. And that's kind of what she felt, you know, um, you know, kind of called to do with her life. And uh, one day, you know, two ladies, young ladies from Rwanda walk in to mm. their office and they need help. And initially they start to kind of talk with them and start processing them as refugees, um, only to discover that, no, these young ladies were not in the country as refugees. They were actually asylum seekers. And so because they were a refugee resettlement agency, they were not able to provide any of their services to them because they, you know, they were classified as asylum seekers and not right. refugees. Right. And so, you know, they couldn't help them. And this lady, I mean, her and her husband have the most amazing hearts and big hearts uh, for sure. So she takes both these ladies home with them and kind of says, <laughs> hey, come home with me. Uh, I'm sure, you know, uh, over the next few days, I'll do some research. I'm sure I'll find an organization that helps asylum seekers and I'll, you know, I'll be happy to take you to them and, you know, Surely, you know, Dallas-Fort Worth, there's millions of people here. Right. Surely there's an organization that can help. Um, right. And so that's what they did. So she took, you know, took him home. She'd only been married, I think, about six weeks that, you know, and she shows up you know, to, wow. you know, to their apartment with these two two women that she'd just met that day. I mean, it's yeah. a crazy story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Long, long story short, um, we then find that she then finds out that there wasn't a single organization in Dallas-Fort Worth. In fact, not a single organization um, in all of uh, North Texas or any mm. of the large cities in Texas that provided, you know, housing support to asylum seekers. So wow. these two ladies end up staying with with them for a few months until eventually they're able to help them kind of get their own apartment and uh, and, and then kind of set that up. And then that led to, you know, um, you know, these two ladies that had been helped, you know, whenever they'd meet someone who was an asylum seeker who needed help, They'd give the you know them you know Ashley Freeman's number and all, yeah, them, so call all these people to say hey right I'll right you help asylum seekers that you know that don't have a work permit and don't have any money and you know can can help you know, help themselves wow and so that's kind of how um, you know how Dash 
you know, came to came to be. Uh, she would eventually go and approach her church you know, here in Fort Worth, mm-hmm. and uh, they would start a ministry within the church, you know, uh, that you know to help asylum seekers, and that's, yeah. that's how Dash Dash was born. And then about five years ago, we had kind of continued to grow as a ministry and started needed to kind of get to a place where we kind of uh, stand alone and you know you know kind of spread our wings beyond just you know this one church sure. that we were working from, and so we started the process to become a standalone nonprofit and get our 501c3 status and yeah. so on and long story, you know. And so, yeah. And then fast forward a few years and we're here now. Been able yeah. to help close to 200 asylum seekers. And, wow. Um, you know, what, what we do is essentially similar to what the government is doing for refugees. Um, okay. You know, through the resettlement agencies where if you come in and you're a legitimate asylum seeker uh, and we have ways and, you know, to kind of check and vet and we have lawyers too that help us with that process. And if you're deemed to be a legitimate asylum seeker, you can come in into Dash and we'll give you a place to stay. We'll give you food to eat. We'll pay all the bills uh, and provide you with a community to be a part of wow. without ever asking you for a penny yeah. until you get your work permit. And then once you get your work permit, we'll also give you a six month runway, you know, five to six month runway, kind of like refugees get where now yeah. you've got a work permit. So we'll help you find work and we'll kind of just try to help you plan your life. And then you know, before that six months is up, we graduate you and kind of help hmm. you go set yourself up in your own apartment and and kind of start moving forward that way. That's incredible. That's, that's you're doing incredible work. Um, that's thanks. I, I I know we just kind of give a lot of space on the on the podcast here for you to do a lot of explaining on the front end, and I think it's so critical for the listeners and the viewers right now to understand that like this isn't the typical like uh, rhythm that the podcast goes in, but it was so important to create the space for you, Manasi, to to explain uh, how the process works and, um, and specifically, you know, what the difference is between asylum seeking and, and refugees. Um, and because that really does set up, um, the realities of the, the difficulties, the vulnerabilities, uh, of, of asylum seekers, um, throughout that entire process, start to finish from when they decide to, to make a run for it. You know, if, if that's the proper language, uh, to, to even, even if they do make it into the United States and still being vulnerable. And so I think that's kind of the turn I want to take is, you know, uh, you've kind of, I think you've kind of touched on it and alluded to it a little bit, but, um, just, you kind of want to make it even more clear, you know, what makes asylum seekers, especially vulnerable to, uh, commercial sexual exploitation? That's a great question. That's a great question. Um, I mean, I think there's the foundational element or the key thing for me in all this is just the desperation. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, when, when you've had to, you know, um, flee your home country, so you yeah. said goodbye to your family, um, sometimes, didn't even get a chance to say goodbye properly. You just sure. Get out. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, because because things got really bad really quickly. So you had to leave. Um, nobody plans on leaving their home country um, unless they unless they have to. You know, that's yeah. been you know my experience. Okay. Yeah. No and one. So, no one wants to abandon their home and yeah. their comfort zone for yeah, funsies. No. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and <laughs> right. especially. If, if you're gonna do it, you know you're probably gonna to try to make a plan, you know, plan right. in advance. You're gonna to try to save some money and at least, you know, kind of, you know, have some structure around it. Sure. So yeah, yeah. Whenever, whenever these things happen, it's typically, you know, you know, a sudden escalation in events, and I need to get out of here. So, I mean, 
some of the you know people that we've served, some of the stories that we've we've heard over the years, uh, you know, in Dash is you know story of you know um, you know we had a, a, a young lady whose dad was in the government in you know in uh, in an African country, um, and he refused to um, you know kind of endorse or participate in some some brutal something brutal that was supposed to be done to some opposition activist or whatever. Yeah, and uh, because he refused, um, you know, they came after him, and he went into hiding. Yeah, and uh, in in looking for him, they come come over to his house, and uh, his wife and you know daughters are home, and um, they uh, decide that they you know they're looking for him, and they want to teach him a lesson, and you know also you know uh, whatever I don't know what logic you know obviously you know is, is working in, in a situation like this. But they basically, um, you know, end up raping his wife, you know, these girls' moms, while yeah. and made the kids watch. And then once they were done with that, you know, shot her in the head. You know, wow. Oh, my gosh. And then, you know, leaves a mess- leave a message to say, hey, you know, we know you, you know where your dad is. Mm. And if you guys don't, you know, get word to him and tell him to turn himself in, you know, we're coming back and whatever you've just seen us do to your mom, we're doing to you guys, basically. Yeah. Um, so... They, um, they end up in a really, um, in a difficult situation where, okay, you know, mom's dead. Now we're in danger too. And, mm. you know, if dad turns himself in and shows up, he's basically just walking into his own, he's, he's, he's death. He's, he's, he's getting killed. Right. And so it's not it's not safe for them and at that point too you know you know the um, dad was part of the kind of the intelligence you know mm-hmm. uh, community in the in the in the country and so you know we don't even know where we can go where we might be safe because right you know, because we, law we, enforcement we, is looking for him and you you know the exactly. people that you would normally trust exactly. in a situation like that you yeah. can't actually yeah. trust yeah exactly yeah so anyway so they end up you know we've got to get out of here and so they they leave um and you know, they end up spending a few months in a neighboring country, you know, essentially trying to, um, you know, find money and raise money, you know, to kind of, you know, find a way to maybe, you know, get over here. And what typically happens is, and a lot of people have asked me this question to say, hey, so if you can technically go and apply for asylum anywhere in the world, yeah, what is it that causes people to come to the U.S.? Um, yeah. And, you know, and I've had one person say to me, look, if I'm going to have to leave my home country, um, and if I'm going to have to flee my community and kind of go somewhere where I have to start over, uh, I feel like I might as well take my chances mm. and try to find a way to get to the U.S. Because I do feel like if I get to the U.S. and if I am granted asylum, yeah. the U.S. probably gives me and my family the best opportunity to yeah. start over and 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 um, you know and 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 make the best of what's a, an entirely entirely horrible situation. Sure. So I've had you know kind of people express that. So. They end up, you know, working for five months, you know, for several months, I think, in this neighboring country. I'll be honest with you, I, I, I didn't have the guts to ask what kind of work they were doing. I mean, yeah, I just don't know. And, and, and it wouldn't surprise me if there was some significant sexual exploitation just in that. Sure, okay? sure. They end up finding their way to uh, Central America and joining, you know, caravan, a caravan that's coming up to the southern border. And even in that, you know, it, you know we're hearing them tell that they didn't have enough money. And so I have no idea, you know, yeah. some of the bus rides they had to get on or some of the places they needed to stay. I don't know what they were made to do, you know, in order to be able to, you know, to kind of, you know, make it here eventually. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
all, 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 all I know is just from once they got here and once they were kind of going through the asylum process and came into Dash, all we knew was they needed you know some very significant counseling and you know significant help yeah. because of the trauma that they'd been through, you know, both at home and you know on their way, you know, traveling to to the United States. So yeah. desperation, I think, is the the big thing. Um, you know th- that makes asylum seekers vulnerable um, to uh, sexual exploitation and then other types of uh, sure. exploitation uh, as well. Well, those are those are the types of conversations that we have, you know, all the time in our work, uh, at, you know, because people ask us, you know, like, well, how do people get into trafficking? Like what leads to people, you know, being sex trafficked? And uh, what we my my preferred definition of sex trafficking and, and what I often tell people to try to get them to understand the complex realities that lead to an individual's exploitation is sex trafficking is the exploitation of vulnerability. Yeah. And, and, and the situation that you're describing for asylum seekers is like, it's nonstop vulnerability from the second, from the second that the process begins of needing to flee wherever that place is. It is, it is like a constant state of vulnerability that would lead that individual just out of sheer need to survive, perhaps in some cases to do what it takes and, 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 and potentially work with other individuals who don't have your, your well-being right as a priority right. just to survive or to get enough money to rescue your father or get enough right. money to get to the next border crossing or, or whatever the case may be. Um, and so I think this is a great, a great lead in to, to the conversation. And we're going to, we're going to take a break in the podcast as we normally do here. Uh, but on the other side, uh, we're going to talk about what makes asylum seekers, especially vulnerable after they reach the United States. And we're just going to continue our conversation with Munazi of Dash Network. We'll see you in just a minute. Four years ago, we started making candles in my kitchen because we had a dream to empower women recovering from sex trafficking. After years of growing, changing, and perfecting what we truly believe to be the perfect candle, we now sell goods across the country that empower women who are recovering from sex trafficking. And we want you to help us so that we can give more jobs to women that are in our program. Go to shop.elijahrising.org and you can see some of the most amazing goods you've ever tried, as well as empower the next woman to have a future after sex trafficking. And we have a special code for all of our podcast listeners. Just use the code podcast when you check out for a special discount. Hey, welcome back. Manazi, uh, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit and just talk, um, continue this conversation though, about like the vulnerabilities that asylum seekers are experiencing. And specifically, I kind of want to shift us to like, what does it look like after they arrive in the United States? Again, you, what Dash Network is doing is incredible. And I understand like you guys are trying to r- reduce and minimize those vulnerabilities, but, um, you know, there's major cities and towns and asylum seekers going in and out of the country everywhere. And there's not a dash network everywhere. Right. So let's, let's talk about that. What kind of vulnerabilities are you seeing after, um, asylum seekers arrive and, and how does that kind of contribute to sexual exploitation? Yeah. Um, really good question, Adam. Um, the, you know, the desperation we were talking about before yeah. the break, um, you know, is just, breeding ground for vulnerability yeah um, as you as you put it because you know when you arrive you you know so you've made it into the united states the government knows who you are they know you're here to apply for asylum 
So now you're free to go, you know, in the U.S. and kind of, you know, figure things out. But you've got to figure things out on your own. Yeah. And like I said, and, and you know, most people, you know, you ha- didn't have much money when you left. Right. And what little money that you had, you used up on the way. And maybe you've been exploited and, you know, been taken advantage of along the way, too. Um, and so finally you're here. And, you know you initially thought being let out of detention was a good thing. Like you actually, you know, celebrate that. But (laughs) in in some cases, it's almost like, wait a minute, at least, you know, when I was in detention, I actually had a roof over my head. I was safe and I had, I I knew I was going to get a meal, you know, every, every few hours. And now I've got to figure this thing out on on, on my own. And so um, that's a real problem. Um, You know, you're just in such a vulnerable state. Um, I'm going to read a quote from, uh, you know, one of our, yeah, yeah, great. Um, you know, yeah, one of our, um, you know, lady residents that we had in Dash um, in the past, you know, who, when asked about, hey, look, so just tell us about what it was like, you know, once you knew that, okay, uh, I'm going to be able to stay in the U.S. and go through the asylum process and, you know, kind of what that meant. And, um, you know, she says, I was so desperate for a place to live mm. that I went to an apartment complex and I knocked on the doors. And I asked everyone if there was a person who could help me and give me a place to stay. The only man who offered me a place to stay wanted me to be a prostitute, but I could not do that. So I could not stay. Um, And that's, you know, candid, candid conversation where you knock on doors. You know, most people not going to open the door to a stranger. Sure. First of all. Yeah. Uh, And then the ones that do, you know, when they do open the door and it's like, oh, it's a young woman on her own. You know, unfortunately, not every person out there is thinking about doing the right thing. And yeah. some people are seeing an opportunity to take advantage of the situation. Yeah, unfortunately. So, um, so there's that you know that situation where you know she said you know she said she wasn't willing to do it and she she left and so she ended up enduring you know some days of homelessness you know until she was able to you know kind of you know find her way to dash. But, you know, it, it scares me to think of how many women, you know, end up in that situation or even men, you know, men and women who are sure. in that, those situations. Yeah. And then out of that desperation of thinking, you know, what am I going to do? You know, because the idea of being, you know, of, of being homeless, you know, is not an idea, it's not anything that any one of us yeah. is going to, you know, take lightly or accept easily. You know? Or even starving, yeah. right? I yeah. mean, like like a roof is one thing, but you can sleep yes. outside, but like, yes. you can't, you can't go many days without food and water. Exactly. Exactly. So there's, there's that, um, you know, that, you know, there's no, you, so you're very insecure about your food situation, very insecure about, you know, um, how you're going to live. Um, you know, the other you know thing that's happening too, is when, when, when you're going through asylum and, you know, immigration kind of, uh, when they you know, release you from detention to kind of, you know, start your asylum process, you know, you're also expected to have a, you know, a fixed address within a very short space of time that you mm. notify the government of and all this different stuff. So right. there's all these different things where <clears throat> technically, if you don't do things by the book, yeah. you could potentially, you know, um, mess up your asylum application, you know, by not following the rules, not because you didn't intend to, but you really didn't have anywhere to go. You know? Yeah. Um, so, so it opens that up and then, you know, most of the residents, the people that are here doing going through asylum that we help have also been through some very significant trauma uh, mm. in, in their lives. I told the story earlier of the, you know, of the sisters that had to watch yeah. you know, their mother being raped and, and, and then murdered, um, you know, and 
there's that. You know, we have, you know, we've had, you know, residents in our program that themselves have been tortured, you know, physically mm-hmm. tortured and, you know, uh, and all of that. We've had women, um, you know, uh, you know, who've, who've been raped just because they were from a, from a tribe that's, con- you know, that somebody decided was inferior, you know, and yeah. those kinds of things. Um, you know, we, we've had those situations. We've had women, you know, uh, enter our program pregnant with a baby from, a, from the actual rape that took place that led them to having to flee their home country. And now we're trying to help somebody find their feet and kind of find a home and kind of just figure things out. But they're also carrying this baby that, you know, um, you know is a result of a very brutal rape uh, yeah. experience. And, you know, just trying to manage that. And, you know, just, I, I mean, I, I, I couldn't, I don't even know where I'd start, you know, if I was in that situation and, and trying to navigate through that. So, um, it, it, it's, it's really difficult. And then again, you know, like I said earlier, you know, most people got to wait two or two and a half years, maybe three years before you finally get a work permit in your hands to be able to start working. Yeah. Um, and so again, you know, that just, you know, is more opportunities for people to take advantage of you or be yeah. exploited. I mean, we've heard stories of asylum seekers who end up, um, you know, because they're desperate, they end up accepting, you know, kind of a job of, hey, look, I'll do anything to just so I can have a place to sleep and food to eat. And they basically, you know, uh, end up en- entering into a form of slavery where they're yeah, you know, yeah. being made to work 20 hours a day and being told that their pay is the floor that they get to sleep on and, you know, a couple of pieces of bread every day, you know, and yeah. that's it, but they've actually got to work. So, so those situations, um, you know, happen and it's just exploitation, you know, um, through and through, but also while trying to cope with the trauma and the PTSD of what you've been through, you're also struggling with the, you know, just the separation anxiety you have separated from your family, from your, yeah. from what you're familiar with. And in many cases, you don't even speak English or you don't speak any English or Spanish. And so you're in this situation where you need help, but you don't even have the words to ask for help because you don't you know any of the language. I mean, it's, there's so many, um, so many uh, difficult, um, you know, kind of elements that are coming together, you know, to kind of just create this perfect storm where, um, you know, if you end up in the wrong hands, you, you are definitely going to be exploited one way or the other. Yeah. And, you know, from our work and, you know, we obviously specifically work in the area of, of anti-trafficking, but like we, we are very aware of the tactics and the strategies that traffickers use um, to recruit women, men, children um, to serve their nefarious purposes, right? And it is always, I mean, it always begins with identifying an individual's vulnerability and exploiting that vulnerability, sometimes very subtly at the beginning, like maybe it is like, Hey, like I see you're in a tough situation. Like, do you need a place to stay? And it might on the surface at the beginning of that process, which is often called the grooming process. It, it often looks great. Like, you know, like helpful, um, and, and, um, and, and wanted accepted. Yes. I do need a place to stay. Yes. I do need food. Uh, yeah, I do have a child with me, uh, that needs a place to sleep tonight and I'll do anything to, to secure my child. Uh, and we know that traffickers are using that type of vulnerability to rope people into a place, uh, to where they are forced to work. Um, they're trafficked. They're trafficked. Precisely. Yeah. That that's, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So asylum seekers end up in situations where, 
um, you know, their vulnerabilities are pretty easy to pick up. Yeah. Um, and so for somebody who who is you know who is bent on on, on taking advantage of 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 of, of someone. It's going to be pretty, you know, they're going to pick up the vulnerabilities pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, and 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 it's it's not going to take very long um, to, you know, to see that. And then the other thing, too, is when you're if you're here as an asylum seeker, um, a lot of times people don't understand, a lot, you know, the asylum seekers themselves don't understand what, you know, what rights they have, you know, kind of. In oh, yeah, sure. So. So what that means is, you know, if I end up in a situation where I feel like I'm being taken advantage of or taking, you know, something's happening that I don't want to be happening to me, a lot of times there's this fear of, you know, can I even call the cops? You know, can I even say something? You know, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, most people, if you're here and you don't have any money, you don't even have a cell phone. So if you even if you wanted to call the cops, how do you call? Right. Um, you know, so there's a lot, of, a lot of those things, too. But then there's also this thinking of, well, because technically I'm, I haven't been granted my asylum just yet. Does that mean if I call the cops, I'm going you know, back they're gonna treat me, uh, they're yeah. gonna treat me as an illegal immigrant? And, you know, somebody who's, you know, who's trying to take advantage of that person is probably going to be saying things like, well, hey, you can call the cops if you want to. But, that's, you know, that's bye bye to you, you know, if you do that. And, you know, um, so, you know, this lack of uh, understanding, you know, and then the language barriers for sure. You know, sure. A big role in that, because. At this point in time, maybe you know very few of them have you know have even had an opportunity to sit down with an a, an immigration attorney or an asylum asylum lawyer, and so everything you're all the decisions you're making are based off of information you've heard from third parties or that you heard when you were in detention, yeah, you know, hearsay and all of that stuff. So you don't have the real facts about you know what you know what you're what you're entitled to as someone in the U.S. and what you're not in you know what you should put up with and what you shouldn't, and so. And again, most times people, you know, this person is not in the right frame of mind anyway because of the trauma and the sure. the PTSD they're suffering. So, you know, rational decisions, um, I, you know, don't always happen, you know, yeah. unfortunately. Absolutely. Absolutely. So where's the hope, Manazi? Like what's like we've just described, like, bro, like sometimes we do the work, right? And like our work, your work, and it, like the problem is so big. It's so vast. It's so like, and it feels like even though we have these like nonprofits that are doing great work and we're helping hundreds of people and like we are yeah. seeing success, it's like a drop in the bucket, drop in the ocean even. So for you, for Dash, for your team, um, and for the listeners and the viewers of this episode, like what is the hope? How do we keep moving forward in this work? Oh man. Um, I think for us, for our ministry and the work we do, the hope is, has to be Jesus. It's um, got to be I, Jesus. Yeah, it, it has to be Jesus. I, I, I see no other solution. Um, uh, you know, beyond God, Jesus coming through and kind of just helping, you know, helping us with the work that we're doing. Um, yeah, because we we're faced daily with some very difficult um, conversations, some just heart wrenching and just depressing stuff and, and and i'll be honest it, it weighs down on your spirit over yeah time, oh yeah all the stuff that, that that's that's going on and just when you think you've heard the worst story and you know the worst story you've ever heard you know it's like you know it doesn't take very long before it's like uh you know well you know i'm, I'm gonna one-up you on that one you know, because, yeah right right yeah uh because of the evil that's that's in the world um but ultimately you know that's the hope um you know is is, is christ um and 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 just the understanding that you know, with all the chaos and the brokenness of the world, you know, that ultimately 
you know, um, it's all going to end and there's going to be a, there's going to be healing, you know, for every one of us, there's going to be restoration and, you know, kind of that place of being put back together, you know, us being made whole again, you know, yeah. in our spirit and, and, and us being able to, to be, you know, with Christ and to be with God and, 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 and to not have to suffer again. I think that's, that's the hope. Um, in terms of the work that we do, um, you know, we do get a lot of uh, hope and encouragement from other organizations, you know, mm. like, you know, um, and, uh, Elijah Rising and the work that you guys are doing um, and other organizations that are helping. You know, there's a lot of organizations we've gotten to know over the years that yeah. provide, you know, services to asylum seekers, you know, right at the border. You know, some are, most of them are short term kind of shelters, but there, you know, there's people, more and more people getting involved. Uh, yeah, great. We had a, you know, a couple of weeks ago, an organization, you know, in, um, I want to say Illinois, reached out to say, hey, look, you know, we've heard about you guys and the model you guys are employing, and we want to start similar, excuse me, organization here in Illinois to help asylum seekers. So can we share notes? Can you help us out? And so that that's encouraging that more yeah. people are, are stepping up um, to get involved. We also get a lot of, you know, encouragement from, you know, the success stories, you know, just, sure. you know, the asylum seekers that came that had to stay with us for three or even four years because they, you know, took that long for them to get their work permits and all of that. And eventually they get granted their asylum and eventually they're able to start the process for their family, you know, their wife and kids or, you know, husband and kids that they left back home to, you know, to come to the United States and they are, you know, reuni you know reunited, you know, for the first time, you know, we've had, you know, um, you know, we, we, got to experience about a year and a half ago, um, you know, a, a man that had been in Dash for, for I think five years even, and he hadn't mm. seen his wife and kids in five or six years. And we got to be present, you know, as he was waiting at, you know, at Dallas Fort Worth airport and his wife and daughters, you know, came out the airport, you know, for the first time. And he's wow. I mean, talking about, you know, last time he had seen his kids, they were like one and three. You know, now there's seven or nine or wow. something like that. And I mean, just just the, the emotion there and the crying and just all, you know, all of that. But the celebration um, and us knowing that, you know, in some small way, you know, God kind of allowed us to be a part of their journey, a part of their story. And, yeah. You know, and in, in, in many ways, you know, God used us to provide some of the stability and the support that they needed to kind of get through this really difficult situation. Yeah. And, uh, and this particular, you know, man I'm talking about, you know, you can imagine our joy when uh, a couple of months ago you know, he calls and says, "Oh, guys, guess what? We just bought a house." You know, so you know now they you know they've been working and they work really hard. Him and his, and his wife and the kids are settled and they just bought a home for the first time in the U.S. and you know things like that. So it's those stories. Uh, now, unfortunately, because of how slow the asylum process plays out, we don't quite get to see those kind of you know or to feel those feelings. Frequently, yeah, right, right, so <laughs> yeah, out. yeah. But, but we, do, yeah. we do savor them when you know those moments when when they do happen. I mean, just and then the small wins too. Just somebody saying, "Hey guys, I've got my asylum." You know, that's a big thing, and we celebrate. Yeah. Hey guys, you know, I finally got my work permit, and oh, I got this job. You know, um, my first job that I was working was paying me ten bucks an hour. I just got one now that's paying me fifteen bucks an hour. I'm, yeah, I'm, you know, praise God, I'm excited. You know, just. Those kinds of things that um, you know, um, you know, that we do get on a regular basis, and they 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 do gonna you know, give us hope and keep us going. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, I think we're when it comes to immigration, we're living at a time in the United States where that's such a divisive you know sure. uh, matter. Yeah. Um, and uh, we do get a lot of encouragement when you know 
other Christian brothers and sisters in churches, you know, are kind of stepping up to say, hey, look, you know, we're we want to work with you guys and kind yeah. of help you guys and support your ministry because the work you're doing is so important. And that that also um, is, is very encouraging. So we, we you know, we just are looking for the, uh, you know, for those moments of hope and the things that we can do. I mean, we're yeah. also at the same time you know, having to try to, you know, trying to continue, continuously encourage, you know, other people that we've had in Dash that have been sure. separated from their wives and spouses five for five years and still haven't had much movement in terms of their families being, you know, being able to be here and, and they're frustrated. They're missing mm. their kids' birthdays. They're missing, you know, some just really, you know, um, you know, critical moments in, in, in their families' lives. You know, you know, when you come and you seek, you know, go through asylum, you know, you aren't able to return to your home country. For right, of course. Until you're yeah. a U.S. citizen. So we're also dealing with people who lose their loved ones, where, hey, my yeah. mom just died in my home country, and, uh, you know, I can't go. All I can do is talk to someone on the phone, uh, you know, and just kind of trying to you know, just deal deal with those real-life, real difficult, um, you know, kind of situations. So, um, so we look for the hope where we can find it. Um, we certainly look for the hope in, the, in Scripture, for sure. Um, and kind of just, you know, get that encouragement there. And, and, and then we get, you know, people that are praying for us that are sending notes to say, Hey, yeah. I'm praying for you guys and all this. And it's really, really, you know, encouraging, um, you know, as we go about our work on a day-to-day basis. Well, I'm happy to hear that, you know, we, in a similar way, you know, we have to celebrate the small victories here too, you know what I mean? And, uh, and you, you just have to keep your eyes on Jesus and that hope that is eternal. Right. And, and hopefully you guys feel encouraged by, uh, by us and, uh, and, and, you know, to know that we're all in this work together. That's the, that's the nature of the kingdom of God, right? We're coming at, you know, oppression and injustice from different directions and, you know, in different, different fields, but, um, but we really are in this together. And so, um, Manasi, I, I just, I, I appreciate you spending the afternoon with us and sharing, uh, you know, um, educating really. I think that's the majority of what you've done today is you've, you've done a lot of educating and, um, there are clearly the, there are clearly, um, overlaps in our work. Um, and so I just appreciate your voice. I appreciate your, um, your, the sacrifice that you make on a daily basis to lay your life down for the sake of others to ensure that they, um, you know, are safe and, and that those vulnerabilities are reduced so that they are not further exploited, um, here in, here in our home, right here in our, here in our, um, our country. So I want to give you just some time here at the end, just like, tell us how can people find dash? How can they support your work? Um, anything you want to tell them about, uh, that you guys are doing, you know, website, etc. Thanks Adam. Um, yeah, if, uh, if anyone out there you know, would like to connect with us or learn more about what we do um, or get involved in some way, um, we are you know, uh, active on Facebook. Um, you just search Dash Network. Uh, you will find us on Instagram as well, Dash Network. Um, and then, you know, but our primary source of information and kind of you know, uh, get word out about what's going on is our website. And you'll find that at uh, www.dashnetwork.net. Um, you know, please, if you have time, just check that out. You know, uh, there's yeah. a couple of stories on there you can see as well. And, you know, just learn more about what we do. Um, if you are interested in, you know, in this kind of work and you don't have to be in the DFW area at all, we do, you know, uh, regularly what we call Dash 101s, which are kind of an opportunity for people that want to learn more about Dash, about asylum seekers and how to help them. 
and we kind of talk through about talk through you know how that can happen. So even if you aren't in the Dallas Fort Worth area, but you wanted to learn more, you know now there's different ways that you can kind of get involved and you can connect. And we have you know volunteers now that are doing work virtually uh, entirely. So there's ways that you can get involved. Awesome. Um, so you can reach reach out to us on our website or through any of our on our Facebook page, and and we'll be very quick to contact you to uh, to come back to you to set something up. If you're in the Fort Worth area, Dallas area, and you'd like to become an advocate, you know, kind of a just a friend to asylum seekers. If you want to become a grocery volunteer, if you have a you know an extra bedroom in your house and you're you know would be open to hosting a young woman from a foreign country, for example, um, you know, we'd love to have a conversation about that. Uh, we also have you know events on a regular basis that we we'll, that we do to kind of just help people learn more about what we're doing, but also give you know people opportunities to meet asylum seekers and get to know them as well. Yeah, that's cool. And, and, and that's always uh, you know really special when whenever we're able to do that. Yeah. We also are you know, always willing to you know looking for donations. Um, sure. Yeah. Be, you know, uh, you know financial donations, and you can you, know, yeah. you can donate through our website. Um, you know, if you wanted to do that. We also have on our website kind of a mailing address. If somebody wanted to mail a check, um, they could they could do that. Perfect. Um, and then we're also looking for people donating household items. You know, so all the apartments we set up, we get you know donations of all the furniture, so we don't have to use our budget, you know, kind of for furniture and that kind of thing. So we need yeah. help with that. Whenever somebody graduates from Dash, so they you know they've got their work permit and you know have worked for six months and been able to save up for their own apartment, we also reach out to the you know to our community to set up their apartment so they they wow. pay for that apartment but we make sure that you know everything they need is you know is provided as they yeah need just so they don't have to you know they, i mean it's stressful enough you know um you know saving you know first and last sure. year's rent and, and all of that stuff yeah. and trying to buy a car and all this stuff in six months that you know we we're just trying to you know lessen the burden um yeah. on on people so if you want to get involved in any of that please just reach out to us. We'd love to talk with you. Um, and then we're also kind of at a place where at the moment we've been providing, you know, our housing through apartments that we rent and, you know, through our board now, we start to kind of look for a piece of land that we could buy. Oh, could, wow. Uh, hopefully build our own, you know, accommodation units. So awesome. Um, just, yeah, working on that and, you know, trying to, you know, get, you know, get that going. So if you can get involved, if you want to help with that, or if you have any contacts, please just reach out to us. We would really appreciate any help we can get. That's excellent. Well, Manasi, thanks again for uh, spending time with us today. And, uh, and I just, again, want to say thank you for the work that you do. And um, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Adam. It's been a pleasure. I really yeah. enjoyed chatting with you and uh, really love the work you guys are doing too. And uh, thanks we'll to you guys as well. Yeah. All right. We'll see you on the next episode of the Elijah Rising podcast. Thank you for joining us today for this episode. If you were inspired by this content today, please share, rate, and leave a review. Also, please consider making a donation at elijahrising.org donate. Your support helps us continue the vital mission to combat sex trafficking. Until next time.